0: Well, today's lesson is going to come out of Ephesians, as Pastor John said, as we continue the series. Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 32. I'll have you turn there, but first, I'm going to read through the scripture, beginning again in chapter four, verse 17. In my Bible, this is entitled, "New Life." I'm going to read through it, and then we'll kind of, as Pastor Preston says, dig it apart. Take it from there. I am reading out of the. Um, ESV, so if you can follow along. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not the way you learned christ assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in jesus to put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to the renewed and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of us speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, But whom you were sealed, by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let all that be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When I was first studying this, I thought, man, this is this is two weeks. This is two weeks' worth of messages. Pastor Preston and I had a discussion, and he talked me out of two weeks. So we may be here till two o'clock today. <laughs> no, not really. I think I've got it whittled down to where I can get us out of here in time to cook's lunch won't be cold. Well, let's get into it. In verses 17 through 19, and I'll tell you, um, go back up just half a second here. Um, I, I used, I'm, I'm taking a lot of what I got here from um, John MacArthur. Uh, he's got a great commentary that I use out of uh, out of his uh, study Bible. Uh, some stuff out of the Ryrie study Bible. I don't usually do this, give credit to those that need to get credit, but that's where it needs to go. Um, and there were some... some uh, Sermons that I watched on this on this uh, portion of Scripture that really helped me help me get a toehold in this, but I wanted to I wanted to say that ahead of time because uh, this is not it, it's what Christ gave me to say, but it's from from the stuff that they gave as well. Okay, verses seventeen through nineteen. Uh, this this uh, portion is broke down three into three different ways. In the first. Uh, portion of scripture goes through uh, 19. This gives us four characteristics, characteristics, there I had to break it, of ungodly lifestyle that Christians should forsake. Four characteristics of, of an ungodly lifestyle that Christians should forsake. In verse 17, it has a couple of different ones. At the beginning, It says, we should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Walk, in this, expresses our daily conduct. It doesn't necessarily mean our walk. It means our daily, what we go through every day. And it backs up a statement that Paul made, and that um, I believe it was last week, 4 verse 1 says, we are, we are urged to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in which we have been called, which is with gentleness, humility, patience, forbearing, eager to maintain unity, and in a spirit of peace. Uh, those were all things that were emphasized in, a, in an earlier message Paul brought out. But it's things we should no longer do We should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Since Christians are a part of the body of Christ, they have been gifted spiritually by the Holy Spirit and are built up, edified if you will, through the other believers and should not continue to live the same as they were prior to their conversion, prior to their salvation. One of the Traits, if it's the right word, one of the uh, attributes that come in our way. is by this, in 1 John 2, 6, it says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way that Christ walked. So if we are truly saved and we are truly walking with the Lord... We should walk in the way that he walked, not in our own steps. And then I know we've talked about this almost every week that we've had this come up. We've talked about what is a Gentile? I found a a definition. It says Gentiles were the ungodly, ungenerated pagans of their time. The Gentiles were the ungodly, ungenerated pagans unsaved pagans of their time. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5 says, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Proof of that text. 17b talks about Gentiles in the futility of their minds. Well, what does that mean? What does futility of their minds mean? Unbelievers are intellectually unproductive. A couple of big words there. Intellectually unproductive. As for spiritual and moral issues, their rationale is distorted, inadequate, and fails to produce godly understanding and morality. Their lives are empty, vain, and without meaning. A lot of negative. We're going to get to the positive, but that's a lot of negative. The Gentiles are are walking in the futility of their minds. In verse 18, turning over in my Bible, turning over a page, it says that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God which comes right back again to they are spiritually separated from God prior to their salvation and they are totally ignorant of the truth. Now, I find that hard to believe that you can be totally ignorant of the truth. But if if you're not, don't have your eyes open, if you're not paying attention, that's pretty easy to be. Excuse me. In 1 Corinthians, I think I marked this. 1 Corinthians 2:6. I didn't mark it, but it's easy enough to find. 2:16 actually, excuse me. It says For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but to have the mind of Christ? Those who are alienated from the life of God don't understand any of that because they don't have the mind of Christ. Their minds are hard, they are blind to all that is around them. In verse 19, it says, they have become calloused. They are morally insensitive. They continue sinning and turning away from God. They have become apathetic about spiritual things. They are willing to continue in sensuous sensuality and licentiousness. Big words. They increasingly lose their moral restraint particularly in the area of sexual sins. Impurity is equal to greed, which is a form of idolatry. Some may not reach these extremes, but one... Excuse me. Some may not reach the extremes, but one of the grace... because of the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. So these are four characteristics that we as Christians... I'm doing some assuming here that we as Christians need to stay away from. We need to forsake. Walking as the Gentiles do, having futile minds, being alienated from God, and becoming calloused towards the Lord and His work and His redeeming grace. In verses 20 through 24, we're going to see three figurative descriptions of salvation. Read those really quickly here, we're 20 through 24. It says, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in, as the truth is in Jesus. The truth about salvation leads to the fullness and truth about God, about man, about creation, about history, about life, about purpose, about relationships, about heaven, about hell, about judgment, and everything else that's truly important. I don't know what else other than those can be truly important. It's a pretty good list. But that's what the truth about salvation leads to the fullness of truth about all of those issues, all of those things. Starting in verse 22, it begins the three areas. It tells us to put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, one of the messages that I watched, the pastor Had an extra jacket hanging on the the balcony or whatever was behind him in in uh, in the scene. And he simply took off his jacket and put on a new jacket. Well, that doesn't cut it. Just taking something off and putting something else back on doesn't cut it. This refers to repentance, which is. Okay, that's kind of a picture of repentance, taking something off and putting something new back on. It's not just about receiving. It's about repenting from whatever sin was in our life and submitting to God to the point of salvation. I know we hear about repentance all the time. We hear about salvation all the time. Um... Repentance is, is a big part of it. We don't just, and I know we kind of feel like I'm preaching to the choir sometimes when I say these things, but we don't just say a prayer and it's all over with. We have to change. We have to change what we were to what we are. We're taking off things that were in our lives before. Um, one of my brothers pointed out to me... Um, Few, a couple through three years ago, when I was giving my testimony, um, I thought I got saved in high school. Well, I bought myself a ticket out of hell in high school. I prayed a prayer and I felt a whole lot better about myself, but I didn't change a thing in my life. And right before my 21st birthday, the Lord got a hold of me and He said, There need to be some things done and a term that I used then was, I recommitted my life to Christ. What I did was I submitted to his authority in my life. I repented of the sins that were in my life. I changed and I submitted to the point of salvation at that point in my life. So I took off the old self because it was worn out. It was useless. There was way too much sin in my life, and I just needed to get rid of that in my life and turn it around. Salvation is a picture of a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. It's more than a prayer that you pray. It's making a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's described, and we've all heard it, is described as the death, burial, and resurrection of the new self, of the old self, in the newness of life. Word that goes there is transformation. Change through Christ. The second aspect of this is salvation involves the mind. Verse 23 says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It involves your mind because it's the epicenter of thought, understanding, and beliefs, as well as motives and actions. When you become a, new, when you become a Christian, God gives you a completely new spiritual and moral compass by which to operate your lives. It's, it's the mind. It's the heart. It's a change. Be ready for that change. And then in verse 24, it says we put on the new life. We put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness refers to Christian morality, Responsibility to, the, to your fellow man, and holiness refers to our responsibility to God. So we need to put on Christ. We need to act like Christ if we're saved. That's not an easy thing because we don't, we don't know without being involved what that all looks like. But we need to put on the new life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's no longer our lives. When we turn our lives over to Christ, when we accept Christ, when we are called by Christ to become a Christian, to be saved, to salvation, we put on Christ We take on the likeness of Christ. Verses 25 through 30 give us a list of the characteristics of our old life. Some of these, I'm sorry kids, on your sheet, I think I called them the don'ts of Christianity. I don't ever want you to believe that the Bible is a list of do's and don'ts, but these are things that we need to put away, to take away from our lives when we when we put on Christ. Verse 25 simply says, no more lying. What does that mean? No more lying. It's more than just lying. It's exaggerating. It's fabricating, it's cheating, it's silly vows, it's telling secrets, it's making up excuses. All forms of falsehood. And the answer is, stop doing it. Stop doing it. And in place of that, back to repentance, take that off. What are you going to put on? Speak the truth in love with everyone that you're around family friends work and you know really the hardest place to speak truth and love is right here at church speak the truth and love to your brothers in Christ be truthful that's the only way you can be used of Christ is to be truthful Verse 26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. It doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, be angry and do not sin. Paul here may have been sanctioning for righteous indignation, anger at evil. When anger is self-centered, and based, and based on love for God or others, I'm sorry, is, is not self-centered and based on, and is based on love for God and others, it is not only permissible, it's commanded, and you'll find it three places in the Bible that I found. In Mark 21 is the scene where Jesus clears the temple. Righteous indignation, anger, expressed in a good manner, in Mark three verses 10 and 11, he's dealing with the Pharisees and healing on the Sabbath. In John 2:15, again, Jesus is back in the temple, where he turns over the tables. Is that anger? Yeah, that's anger. That's righteous indignation. It tells us that we can be angry but do not sin. And then it goes on to say, don't give the devil a foothold. When you allow anger to become bitterness, to carry on, it, it only leads to bad things. I can remember when we were first married. Yeah, I can remember that long ago, I know. When we were first married, we always used to say, don't ever let us go to sleep when we're mad at each other. Well, that lasted a little while. Sometimes I did so many, well, not sometimes, a lot of times I did stupid things, and I would get under behind the eight ball, and it was kind of hard sometimes to forgive me before she went to sleep, or before I went to sleep. But The idea is, don't let the sun go down. If you have opportunity and you can take care of a problem, take care of it now. Don't let it linger. Don't let it build bitterness. Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Do not steal. Stealing is a sin and should not be a part of the Christian life. This doesn't only mean not to take to, to take things that are not yours. It also refers to your work. It tells you to do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. I believe it's in Timothy where this comes up, where it talks about a man who 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 if, refuses to work um, I may be wrong with that so excuse me if I've got the wrong uh, the wrong reference um, I did not write that one down it's just something that popped into my head and I probably should have kept it there um, but it says you know let him work to provide for himself and for his family and then he's gonna be able to supply for others that's part of the benevolent benevolence of the Christian life to be able to supply for not only ourselves, but for others. Verse 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, and it may may give grace to those who hear it. Now, has she popped that up there yet? I see it in the back. This is a plaque. I am in uh, Meyer stores every day and I walk past the home goods section and for whatever reason, this one is the one that pops into my eye as I walk by. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. My question is, do you really love Jesus if you cuss a little? I always used to laugh at that. I don't laugh at it anymore. It's, it's, I took it to heart. Um, Especially after reading this, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. That doesn't just refer to swearing and cussing and cursing. It also refers to being a gossip, being a backtalker, saying things that, Don't need to be said. Talking behind other people's backs. Again, stop it. Don't do it. The only thing that people should hear, it says, let all who hear your words be built up. May it be grace to the hearer. That was the convicting one for me this week. I have that problem, and I I need to get rid of it. I pray about it every day. Verse 30 is the biggie. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit Now, this is not quenching of the Holy Spirit. This is not blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. That's another lesson for another day. This is the things that we intentionally or maybe unintentionally, maybe inadvertently do, ways we behave in a manner that is, and here's a big word, a word that I learned this week. Inimical. I-N-I-M-I-C-A-L. Inimical. It tends to lead to, to obstruct, to harm, and to be hostile towards others or antagonistic. It's ways in which we are inimically grieving the Holy Spirit about three weeks ago, I think it was, Steve Carey was leading our life group, and he was reading through Psalm 19. And Psalm 19, 13 talks about, I wrote this down, presumptive, presumptive sins. What is a presumptive sin? What is an inimical sin? There pretty much the same thing. They're sins that we do. Sometimes we don't even know that we're doing them. Sometimes we do know we're doing them and we continue to do them. It's something that is done in a self-destructive manner. Kind of like when a misbehaving child continues to misbehave and a loving parent grieves for that child to turn around and come back. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He grieves for us to come back to Him. So when we grieve Him, that's a different meaning of grieve. When we grieve Him, we are intentionally sinning against His will. Again, totally different from quenching and blaspheming. But again, do not grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 31 it talks about six characteristics and kind of goes in I I looked up definitions of all of them it talks about getting rid of bitterness what is bitterness bitterness reflects smoldering resentment it tells us to put away wrath which deals with rage It tells us to put away anger, which deals with deep moral hostility. To get rid of clamor. These are old words. To get rid of clamor, to get rid of strife, to not be out of control. To get rid of slander, all evil speech. And to get rid of malice. Told myself I wasn't gonna use a Greek term, but that is a Greek term. It means all sorts of evil. So we are to put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Quite a list to put away. And verse 32 closes with a charge to all Christians. It says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you be tender hearted forgiving as christ forgave you we who have been given so much by christ by god should be able to give forgive relatively small offenses by others against us but I'm sorry that we don't. On occasion, we harbor those. We hold on to those. But, again, be kind. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving as Christ has forgave you. And that reminded me of a lesson from back in Matthew. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. I'm not going to read all of it. You'll, You'll catch it when I start here. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother? I think I'm going to stop right there. One verse is enough. How often do we have to forgive our brother? Once, twice, 70 times seven. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you, forgive others of their minor offenses against you.